0: Hi, I'm Ashley Ford, and this is 112BK. Coming up...
1: It took the governor to sign a declaration of a state of emergency in New York City.
0: Hi, and welcome to the show. We've got a packed one today. I'll be talking to the new president of BRIC, Christina Newman-Scott, whose first day was Tuesday. We'll find out what drew her to BRIC and what plans she's got in store. But first, here with us today, in the final stretch of his primary campaign, is Blake Morris, a Democratic candidate for State Senate and District 17. For the rest of us, that's better known as the neighborhoods of Borough Park, Flatbush, Kensington, Midwood, Sheepshead Bay, and Sunset Park. A local Ditmas Park resident, Morris is running in what is being called a battleground race against the incumbent Democrat, Simca Felder. Felder has held this seat since 2012. Described as a Democrat in name only, Felder has run and won the Democratic Party line, but has consistently caucused with Republicans. A win for Morris could not only unseat an establishment candidate, but it could also mean restoring Democratic control of the Senate. Still. Morris faces a tough race in a heavily gerrymandered district. Mr. Morris, welcome to 112BK.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm Blake Morris. I'm running for state senate for district number 17. You were very knowledgeable, and you <laughs> and you did recite all the, the neighborhoods correctly.
2: Yes.
0: Those are my neighborhoods as well, by the way. I'm not going to say which one, but I'm going to say I'm over by there. You're constantly being referred to as the underdog in this race, Blake. Um, Simica Felder is an incumbent candidate who has been holding that seat since 2012. What mentality do you have to have to even run a race like this?
1: Um, You have to have a mentality of waiting for six years to actually run Mm. against, um, against Senator Felder. So Senator Felder first ran in 2012 when the uh, district was first created. Mm-hmm. And the day after the general election in 2012, he announced that even though he was elected as a, as a Democrat, he was going to conference with the Republicans and support the Republican conference to be in control mm-hmm. of the state Senate. And that's what he's done ever since 2012. So we were waiting in in the 17th Senate district we were waiting for someone to run against him in 2014 or for the party to, to kick him out of the party mm-hmm. and nothing happened and then i waited for 2016 and nothing happened and then in 2017 uh, a bunch of people within within the district formed a community um group mm-hmm. to uh figure out what the issues are of why we don't have representation within our senate district and when we um ha- met and had our discussions we actually did not have any particulars about Senator Felder. You know, We didn't have a lot of um, facts about him. We just knew that he conferences with the Republicans. Right. But I didn't know what that really meant for the district, and mm-hmm. we wanted to find out more about him. Because mm-hmm. Senator Felder has never had um, – he doesn't maintain a public schedule. He doesn't accept phone calls. He doesn't attend town hall meetings. He does not go to community events. Uh,
0: so not so much a public certain as much as a public figure?
1: Yes, more of a political. A political. A political figure. A political figure. And not very much of a public servant. And the concept of being an elected representative Mm. is a little bit, um, a little bit uh, removed from Senator Felder. I don't think he quite understands what an elected representative means. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we met him, I was able to meet him once, and we had a quite a long conversation. And basically, he feels that he can have his own notions of what's good for the district and what's good for the state. And he doesn't really need to consult with anyone else.
0: Okay, a huge talking point of yours was regarding the school zone speed cameras and Senator Felder's failure of getting them turned back on. Now that Cuomo and de Blasio and city council stepped in, does that kind of take the wind out of your sails on this talking point?
1: Actually, no, not at all. So it turns out ever since that day after 2012, people who were concerned about Senator Felder within the district and were aware that he was posing a risk to the district and he mm. was a threat to democracy within the entire state of New York. Mm. And as time went by, the, the risk and the threat actually, actually uh, uh, metastasized. So by the time that we got to 2017, it had gotten a lot worse. Mm. So now, um, you know, he held up the budget in April, right? Mm-hmm. He held the entire state hostage. right? And then in June, even though he chairs the city's committee, he's made a Faustian bargain with Flanagan, the leader of the Senate, to have mm-hmm. a Republican control. So in June, of, even though there were votes for it to renew the, um, the NYC speed safety camera law, right. he actually held that bill in his committee, and and Senator Flanagan could have discharged that bill from committee, but because they have their agreement among themselves, he did not. So our New York City speed camera law died. Um, The Senate wouldn't take any action. The Mm -hmm. governor would not take any action. They exposed summer school students to the risk of speeders. Oh, yeah. And now, because of Senator Felder's action, this is single-handedly – Um, killed off our New York City speed camera law. It took the governor to sign a declaration of a state of emergency in New York City. So we are now under an official declaration of state of emergency. And that is how the state can get around not having a state law regarding this issue. So to have the New York State Department of Motor Vehicles cooperate with New York City, and the, and then the City Council and the Mayor signed signed the new legislation last, I think Tuesday. Yeah. Um, so between the executive order of state of emergency and the, and the new city law, there is now we have a stopgap in place, so the cameras can now be turned back on again. But that em- state of emergency declaration is only good for thirty days.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: So every thirty days, um, it will depend on the will of the governor, if he would like to renew the executive order, the Senate will not reconvene until January 2019. And hopefully then, when I'm in the Senate, one of the first first acts of business, the first order of business will be to renew our speed safety camera law in a permanent way and also expand the amount of cameras. There are 1100 schools, school buildings, I should say, in New York City, the legislation um, that was pending in the Senate, there were two two actual bills pending in the Senate. One was to maintain the same number of speed cameras at 140, right? And the other was to like b- basically double or triple mm-hmm. the number of cameras. So we certainly want to put the law back on a permanent basis. So no, 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 and
0: double and triple no sunset
1: provision this time. Right. And also we want to double, triple, if if not more. The cameras.
0: Um, so Felder is an Orthodox Jewish man representing a largely Orthodox community. How do you, as a non-Orthodox progressive, make yourself an appealing candidate to the people in such an insulated community?
1: So no one group has a majority. We right. only we only have pluralities in the Seventeenth Senate District, right. and there has been a lot of talk in the last six years about who Senator Felder actually. Represents most mm-hmm. people in the 17th Senate District would tell you he's not representing them, mm-hmm. and that would be accurate. And but if you listen to Senator Felder, he always said that he represents his community. He doesn't talk about neighborhoods. He never talks about the district. He right. only talks about my community, mm-hmm. and he leaves that undefined. And other people, third parties, people in in, in news organizations, they have um, have added content to the my community concept to give it some meaning to flesh out who my community was. And I've known for years that he's not representing um, what other people thought he was representing. Mm -hmm. And now we have and now we have some facts. Mm -hmm. And the facts came in the July state campaign finance filing report about the people who actually contributed to Senator Felder's campaign for the first five years. In office, he basically raised no money. Yeah. But in July, he and within a 60 to 75-day period, he raised $430,000. And he has no small donors, not one. And almost all the money is in contributions of greater than $5,000. Most of them are $10,000. They're special interests with bloated state contracts and Redney the real estate board of New York. So when people ask, now we know since July's filing, now we know who is Senator Felder's constituents. They're basically state contractors and and the real estate lobby.
0: Interesting. So is so what happens if Senator Felder is unseated? What does the district look like?
1: Well, it can't happen. It cannot happen. So the primary is Thursday, Mm -hmm. September 13th, the state Democratic primary. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to be able to unseat him in Thursday because he's running on four party lines. He runs as a Democrat, Republican, conservative, and also the Independence Party. So when um, we win on Thursday, September 13th, I become the Democratic nominee, and then we get to run again against him in November when he's in the general election as a Republican, conservative, and independent. So we have to win twice.
0: So how do you run on four lines at the same time?
1: So in New York State, we have an unusual system, Uh and we allow political parties to give you a waiver to allow you to run under their party name, even though you're not registered in that party.
0: I don't think I knew that. That is, you know what? You learn something every day. Um, though I will say that sounds like some bullshit, like that shouldn't be allowed to happen, but that's okay. And, um, and that's what,
1: if I can just add two things. So yes, absolutely. So on the legal side, there's a legal side. Mm-hmm. So if people want to look at the law, it's called the Wilson-Pakula Law. That's the name of the statute that actually allows the parties mm-hmm. to do this. And on the less than generous Um, name for this um, proposition. People call these parties -parties. rent-a-parties.
0: Interesting. Um, As a white male candidate, you seem like a pretty establishment choice. And given the excitement over candidates such as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Julia Salazar, what type of platform do you have to stand for in order to stand out?
1: Well, we're a very progressive um platform of housing health care and hope I'm um, mm-hmm. supporting single-payer universal health care mm-hmm. we want obviously as we talked before we want to um, restore this the um the, the speed safety cameras mm-hmm. we want to raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars and now for all workers including mm-hmm. tip workers around throughout the entire state um, we're supporting uh the legislation now pending well, well well, now there's nothing pending, but in the next in the next mm-hmm. session, hopefully, the assembly will repass a lot of the progressive legislation they had passed the last session that died at the state senate. So we are supporting gender and the Dream Act mm-hmm. and um, the Crime Victims Act. So uh, just a, in time, I mean, we could we could spend an hour just talking about acronyms right. and statute names, but a whole laundry list of things that the state needs to get done to move forward because we we've, we've basically been stuck. Mm-hmm. Um for the last six years, and we haven't been able to move forward. We also want to cut we also want to uh, codify Roe versus Wade. Yes. Um Senator Felder is a guaranteed no vote. He usually doesn't talk about mm-hmm. his positions on legislation before a vote. He says, You'll know what my position is after I vote. There's no need to know it beforehand. But the one time he has expressed his pre vote position. Is codifying Roe versus Wade, and he's a guaranteed no for wow. that. So there's a lot. Yeah. So and and when we win in September and we win in November, we automatically flip the state senate. Almost all political pundits, wherever they're worth, say that almost all the incumbent Republicans are going to win. One can hope that that's not true, but but that is the prediction. Right. And um and all the incumbent Democrats. Are going to win, except for Senator Felder, who's basically a party of one, who's not really right. even though the man that has four political parties actually doesn't, doesn't have one. Actually doesn't even have one.
0: Right. Well, thank you so much for being
1: here. Oh, you certainly for, welcome for
0: you know letting us know what you're up to and what you hope to see for the future of New York. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you. She's been here for one whole day or a day and a half. She's Brick's new president, originally from Jamaica, coming to us via Connecticut, where she was the director of culture for the state. Sounds like a plum gig. So what drew her to the best city in the country, besides it being the best city in the country? We're going to find out. Christina Newman-Scott, welcome to Brick, and welcome to 112BK. Thank you. It's fantastic to be here. It's fantastic to have you here. Let's talk about this job you used to have. Yeah, the, okay? the one that right before.
2: Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So, why'd you leave it to come here? What is it about us? Well, I mean, I mean, Brooklyn. I, it's funny, I was at a barbecue a couple years ago where this gentleman was talking about his son who lives in Paris, right? Mm-hmm. And his son's girlfriend, who's originally from Paris, anytime she wanted to say that something was super chic, she said it was very Tre Brooklyn. So I was like, what? So you know if somebody in Paris is like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Brooklyn, it's, it's, it's the epicenter really, oh, yeah. in my mind. And I'm sure of everyone that's lived in Brooklyn for a long time Mm -hmm. Uh, and not just now forever of a kind of true mashup of the most creative people, most creative minds and the kind of metropolitan city that um, I was just ready to be a part of.
0: Well, what excites you about brick and living in Brooklyn? Because, I mean, I can see why it would be exciting hearing someone from Paris call this uh, yeah. Trey Brooklyn. Yeah, but Trey she, here. Which I love, yeah. by the way. Um, kind of makes me want to go to Paris
2: now and just <laughs> right, stunt. right.
0: Uh, but uh, in, in addition to mm-hmm. something like that, like now that you're here, right. now that you're starting to integrate into
2: this building yeah. and into your role yeah. and into this community, how are you feeling? It's a mixture of um, excitement, Mm -hmm. uh, anxiety, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because, you know, I moved with my family, uh, which consists of one husband and two children, uh, one being nine and one being 13 uh, months old. So, you know, we're just kind of trying to find our new way of family life, which is very different. 13
0: months old? 13
2: months old. You got a new
0: baby and a new job?
2: Yes. Yes. So there's that. But. There's a rawness and authenticity in the city that reminds me of what it felt like when I went to college in Kingston, Jamaica. I mean, people are truly in their skin here, right? And in a way that I I didn't realize I missed it so much, right? So when you work in arts and government, which I have had, I've been doing for a total of about seven and a half years both at the municipal and then the state level mm-hmm. you get used to a certain type of rhythm and pattern yes and even though i came from the arts in this role i felt so much so removed from the arts in a way because i was funding fantastic things mm-hmm. i had great collaborators and partners but i really didn't have the stickiness that I like in terms of true engagement right. with, with creativity on the ground. Mm-hmm. And Brick offered me that opportunity to really not only help create a long-term vision mm-hmm. that's, I guess, more kind of focused on program design and curatorial vision, right? right? The big C, not like specifically visual arts, but you right. know, And then also, like, empowering the people that do just phenomenal work here, like you, that are part of our world and our community. uh,
0: And, you know, this institution is four decades old. You know, the building might be pretty new. The institution is
2: four decades old.
0: So uh, what do you see as being your biggest challenge as president, the incoming president of a place that's been running for this long?
2: So there's a couple things. Uh, One is just really truly understanding what's happening here Mm -hmm. (laughs) and how it's happening because there is so much happening. Yes. And BRIC is a dynamic organization Mm -hmm. with many moving parts and so giving myself enough time to understand moving parts is gonna be really important Mm -hmm. before there are any major changes. I think fundraising, making sure that we continue to diversify, fundraising here. And I think that coming from a, a being a woman of color, being an immigrant, mm-hmm. there are communities that I think that have been um, overlooked with people of color that have means. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if they don't, that would like to be generous and that mm-hmm. we have long overlooked in, in a lot of ways. In my previous life, when I worked in the nonprofit world, I rarely saw people that looked like me around the table for or lunches for conversations when it came to kind of giving and philanthropy. And I have to tell you, that doesn't mean that we're not out there. It's just how much do you want to broaden your lens and be inclusive? And so I'm very excited about that because, you know, and I don't think anybody tries to not include people. I just Mm -hmm. think you're accustomed to what you're accustomed to. And I think I'm happy to know that with my background, I bring a lot of people of color uh, that have been champions for me and that I wanna bring into the fold and, and lean on them to help me make Brick better. I love that.
0: Um, you know, they call them blind spots for a reason. They're not always intentional. Right, they're, they're not. Just, happen they just happen to be there. They just happen to be there. As it relates to diversity, how do you feel arts and culture play a role in not just tapping into communities, but also
2: building communities? Oh, huge, huge. One of the, one of, you know, the, that old saying that, um, Uh, talent is universal, Mm -hmm. but opportunities are not, right? So I see uh, at this organization, what are we doing to to create space so that we're empowering and investing and educating our next generation of cultural leaders beyond just maybe a specific artistic discipline or practice, but Mm -hmm. how do we turn the next young man from wherever, like, you know, Pakistan or the young lady from you know Suriname into me, right? Right. We. Th- I don't think that there needs to be like the buck stops here, where you become a manager or right. you're like a VP or you should be grateful because you've gotten there. How do yes. we make sure that we're building a pipeline of leaders? You know, I think that's that's fundamental. And I did a lot of work in Connecticut to help, to to help shift that and and move the needle on that because it's our responsibility. And I'm proud that Brick is an organization that has an over 50 percent. Of color staff, we have one of the most diverse staffs I think, probably in the nation. I'm just wow. saying. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and one and something to be proud of. We wanted to end with your grandmother's words. Really? Yes. Yes. She had a saying. Yes. What was that saying? What is feel can't unfill. Talk to me about that. How do you draw inspiration from that? So that saying is a common—it's a common phrase in the West Indies, and I grew up hearing my grandmother use it. And it's a phrase that I lean on, and that kind of catches me when I, I'm faltering and I, that my faith is kind of being like a little shaky. It reminds me that I'm always where I'm supposed to be, mm-hmm. that everything is in divine order, mm-hmm. and that I need to trust because the universe is not blind, yes. right? And so. Th- that got me to where I am today. I mean, if you told me, as a, a, you know, a painting student in Kingston, Jamaica, when I was like 19 years old or whatever, that I was gonna end up being the president of Brick, in, I don't know how many years, 20 years or whatever that right. was, right? Twenty odd, years. I would be like. Pfft. Yeah, like stop what? drinking, right? <laughs> Put that bottle down, find an
0: AA. Class. Right. And this is where you are. This is where you I know, am. You know, my grandma used to say something
2: very similar,
0: you know? And what I know that she they say? mean exactly the what, same thing. What she what, say? What is for you is for you.
2: Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, it is, we all, we all, it's a common, it's a saying that we all kind of, we understand and yes. it feels like home. And I really do believe in the power of faith in that way. And, and daring greatly and believing yes. that you're gonna, the world, when you put something out there. The world gonna, is trying to
0: bring it to you. Yes, yes. Christina yes. Newman-Scott, thank you so much thank you. for talking with us. And I can't wait to see what's gonna happen here at BRIC under your leadership. And now some news in collaboration with Brookliner. According to an interview with WNYC, Schools Chancellor Richard Carranza is poised to sign off on an integration plan that would eliminate admission screenings at middle schools in Brooklyn's District 15, where parents got together and drafted a diversity plan. Check out Chalkbeat's coverage for details on what's being proposed. While Councilmember Robert Cornegie and residents of Bed-Stuy responded well to a demo of Bird Electric Scooters last week, Streets Blog says the city isn't ready. The scooters will need protected bike lanes something community boards are often wary of. Housing affordability is a major issue citywide, but a new study about the best bang for your buck from Localize named Brooklyn's Windsor Terrace as the top neighborhood, citing leafy streets, good biking, and access to train lines. And while the mayor signed a law in 2016 to help the city collect outstanding fines from developers, a recent court case in which Jared Kushner's company owes $500,000 in fines led to a revealing discovery. The city has hardly collected at all, with about $1.5 billion in fines still outstanding which is interesting when you think about how many people end up spending a lot of time in Rikers on trumped-up bail charges. If you'd like to learn more about these stories, please check out Brooklyner. That's B-K-L-Y-N-E-R dot com. And that's the show. Please join Jarrett Murphy tomorrow when he talks to Martin Delon, who's trying to keep his state senate seat but faces a tough challenge from a Democratic Socialist candidate. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It is also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Barhee, Isabel Alcantara, Ariana Rosas, Kritzi Roberts, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hagasek, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is edited by Mira Al Rahim. Our executive producers are Assis Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.